Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Well, good morning again. I wanted to start with a question this morning. If you could meet anyone in the world and spend some time with them, who would that be? So go ahead, talk to your neighbor. If you don't know your neighbor, introduce yourself. That's a good thing to do in church. But go ahead, take a minute, talk to your neighbor, tell them who's somebody that you would like to meet or spend some time with. Anyone in the world? All right, hopefully you landed on somebody. So what'd you come up with? Who are some people that you'd like to meet, spend some time with? What'd you get? Corey Ten Boom? Yeah, she'd be an awesome lady to talk to. Yeah, holy cow. Who? Franklin Graham, all right. Anybody else? Who? Bob Goff, yeah, man. He'd be a fun guy to talk to. Anybody else? Reese Witherspoon, all right. Sweet Home Alabama. My wife loves that movie. <laughs> Anybody else? Jesus, hey, there we I think I've shared with you the Sunday school story of the Sunday school teacher trying to start open with an illustration. What is brown, has a bushy tail, and berries nuts? Yeah, the kid said, you know what, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sure sounds like a squirrel to me, you know? <laughs> Seems like the right answer is always Jesus. But as you think about people you'd like to meet, and as great as it might be to meet world leaders, people that, that we think are famous, how great would it be to meet the creator of the heavens and the earth? How great would it be to meet Jesus, the son of the living God? To really encounter him. And that's as we continue our series in Luke, where we're headed today is, some travelers along a road, they encounter Jesus. But before we get into talking about encountering him, I think it would do us well to remember who he is. So who is this Jesus that we have the opportunity to encounter? He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, who created all things visible or invisible who's above all thrones, dominions, and powers, in whom all things consist, who is the head of the body firstborn from the dead, who in all things has preeminence, who's gentle and great, just and merciful, awesome and safe, approachable and yet who dwells in unapproachable light, who came as a vulnerable baby and will come back as a vanquishing king, savior, healer, baptizer, first and last, truth, Life, door, shepherd, way, peace, advocate, judge, and master. And we can encounter him. I think we take that too lightly sometimes. Tony, working on the message for this week, I was absolutely captivated by the fact that we can encounter Jesus. And my prayer this morning is, is that you have a fresh encounter with him today. May we all encounter Jesus. And it's the resurrection that we talked about last week that makes it all possible. 
we can encounter Jesus. Do you know that this morning? You can encounter Jesus. It baffles me today. I want to look into that scripture and how it is that these guys on this road that were traveling, how they encountered Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. And she's announcing you should have your Bible. <laughs> hey, uh, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 24. We're in the last chapter of Luke. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're in verses 13 through 35. And don't worry, mom, those babies' cries are always so much louder for you than the rest of us. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, verse 13 this morning. It says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. So if you remember from last week, some women went to the tomb. It was empty. They came back and told the disciples, some of the apostles, and Peter and John went to go run to the tomb. And Peter looks in, but now we see some other guys are kind of going on their own way as well. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. So some of these guys departed about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death to, and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off in Luke last week, talking about how the resurrection changes everything. We saw how the resurrection reveals that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Resurrection reveals that to us. We also saw how the resurrection proves that Jesus keeps his word. As we read his words, we know he's going to keep his word. The resurrection proves it. We saw how we have the ability to live and not die. Praise the Lord. Jesus conquered death. And we discovered through the resurrection that as we follow Jesus... 
We simply won't understand everything that God is doing. And that's okay. Because even when it seems God is not on center stage, you can be assured he is always, and I mean always, doing something behind the curtain. Always. The resurrection shows us that. The resurrection should be proof of that. So no matter where you find yourself today, because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can live a resurrected life. How do we know this? We shared last week from the New Testament book of Romans. It says that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's a pretty powerful spirit. And that's how we can live a resurrected life in Jesus. So the question from last week is, Are we living that kind of life? Are we living the resurrected life that Jesus leads us in? Or are we choosing a different path? So the question is this morning, are we going to step into that resurrected life? Because as we step into that life, we have opportunity to encounter Jesus. The resurrection gives us that opportunity. As we live that kind of life, we can expect to encounter Jesus. And our passage today shows us how. Our passage shows us that we can encounter Jesus. By having right expectations as we journey with him. We can encounter Jesus as we have right expectations of who he is as we journey together. After the women tell the rest of the disciples that the tomb is empty, Peter and John go to the tomb to see. And and it seems like some other disciples were there. And now two of these guys we've got recorded are, are headed on a road to a different village. And as they're journeying on this road to a village named Emmaus, Jesus joins their party as they travel And what I find is interesting as part of this journey is it wasn't somebody by themselves. It was somebody traveling with someone else. There is something in the way that we follow Jesus that it's meant to be done together. There's just something about that in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, relationships matter. So I would encourage us, we're meant to journey together in Jesus. That's why I encourage people to come together on a Sunday. So I encourage them to join a volunteer team. So I enjoy, encourage people to, to be a part of connect groups as those happen in our semesters because although you may come to Christ alone, I've said this before, we do grow in Jesus together. We're meant to journey together. But there is something that's interesting about this episode and that these disciples don't recognize Jesus. There's something that keeps them from seeing him. He's in their midst, but they can't see him. And why is that? Because it seems like these guys were pretty close to Jesus. If they were in the room that the women come back to to say, Jesus has risen, the tomb is empty, obviously these guys were close to him. They weren't part of the 12. Cleopas wasn't listed there. I would imagine they might have been a part of the 72 that Jesus sent out in Luke chapter 10 to go into villages that he was going to go visit. But obviously these guys knew what Jesus looked like. So how is it they couldn't recognize him? Well, what we also know about these guys is not only were they close to Jesus, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. They had different expectations for Jesus and what they wanted him to do, and I think it is that which kept them blinded to Jesus in that moment. They may have seen him before, but they needed to see him still as a resurrected Lord, but they needed to believe in the resurrection. It's important for all of us, if we want to see Jesus, that we approach him with right expectations. How many of us have created stories or versions of who we would like Jesus to be or what we would like Jesus to do only for us to lose hope when those expectations don't become realized? And let me say, it's not that Jesus doesn't want to meet your expectations. It's simply that he is God. 
And he knows better than any one of us what we ultimately need. He's our creator. And so as our creator, Jesus always knows best. There's that old show, Father Knows Best. Anybody know that one? That dates me. (laughs) But I'm telling you, Jesus knows what's best. Think about it. More than these disciples needed an earthly kingdom, which is what they were hoping for. They needed the Son of God to come and dethrone the accuser so that Jesus could reign as king and be our advocate sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus knows what we need. He knows what we need still. He knows what we need for us to bring glory to God with our lives. He he knows what we need to be the spouse he wants us to be. He knows what we need to be the parents he wants us to be. He knows what we need to be the follower he wants and needs us to be. So instead of trying to approach Jesus with our expectations, it's much better for us to instead learn about Jesus, what he came to do, and how that should affect the way we live our lives. Because in order for us to encounter Jesus, it's important we have the right expectations of him as we journey with him together. So the next time you pray, instead of just asking God for stuff, why not just listen and see what God has to say? Jesus wants a relationship with you. But it's important to say it's, it's not really on your terms. It's not that Jesus needs us. It's that we need Jesus. We need to get that order right. Let's approach the one who dwells in unapproachable light with the right mindset. Because we can encounter Jesus by having right expectations of him as we journey together with him. And we can encounter Jesus by taking care of strangers. We can encounter Jesus by taking care of strangers. So after the disciples, Jesus meets them on the road. They're journeying together. Jesus is starting to reveal who he is through scripture, what the gospel is. And then they finally arrive at Emmaus and they go to stay in the village. And Jesus acts as though he's going to continue along the road. But these guys, not knowing who he is, they invite him in. Did these disciples know it was Jesus yet? Did they? They had no idea. He was still a stranger to them. But there was something about them welcoming him in as a stranger. What happens? It leads to them encountering Jesus. There's something about our willingness to entertain strangers that allows us to encounter our risen Lord. And this is not unlike what Matthew writes about in the 25th chapter of the Gospel account. Here's what Matthew writes in chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. That sounds familiar. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. 
Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. When we take care of the poor, the sick, the prisoner, the stranger, or the foreigner, the international person in our community, we're taking care of the king. You ever considered that? I've been wrestling with this passage for some months now. And here's the conclusion I came to. I'm no goat. Just to say, I don't want to be a goat. So we should do something about the poor, the sick, the prisoner, the foreigner, the stranger in our community. And in so doing, we take care of the king. So I had opportunities some months ago to start going to the county jail on Wednesday mornings and go into the pod with guys and talk about Jesus. Um, and I'll tell you, there is something about being in that space that sometimes Jesus shows up in the midst of those conversations. I can't explain it. I can't really wrap my mind around it. But I've journeyed with Jesus long enough to say, I don't really have to know. It's just far easier to follow what you say, Jesus, and watch what he does. Bob Goff, in his book, somebody mentioned they like to meet Bob Goff. In his book, Everybody Always, he talks about the same kind of thing. And here's what Bob shares, talking about these kinds of people. He says, find strange people and welcome them into your life. You may have a whole family full of them already. No one will even notice. <laughs> Think about that at Thanksgiving this week, folks. <laughs> Keep water bottles in your car and find thirsty people. Go to a hospital, find sick people, give away love and band-aids maybe even one of your kidneys. <laughs> naked people are a little harder to find. But maybe there's a nude beach not far away. Here's the point. Don't just agree with Jesus. Go visit jails and make a couple of friends there. You don't even need to commit a felony to get in. I can attest to that. Just ask the warden. Do these things and you'll not only find your faith again, you'll find Jesus. So how can we be more intentional in the way we engage with the poor, the international, the people affected by prison and the sick? And here's the thing for us. I think too often we simply like to throw money at these things. And in so doing, here's the problem. We miss the point of what Jesus is providing us by interacting with people in these categories. Because Jesus is saying, as you interact with these people, you're interacting with me. So how are we doing interacting with those folks. I would say next time you've got a friend in the hospital, go pay him a visit. Jesus is there. Go out of your way to take care of the international population in our city. It's really not hard to do so. Invite them into your home for Thanksgiving this week if you haven't already. And instead of a passing by a homeless person, why not stop, buy a couple of sandwiches, sit down, pray, and invite Jesus to join you, share a meal, and have a conversation. And why would we do these kinds of things? Because we can encounter Jesus as we entertain strangers. And we can also encounter Jesus by knowing the gospel. We can encounter Jesus by knowing the gospel. After Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, they, they comment, did not our hearts, I love this scripture, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he explained scripture to us. And I want to say, what was Jesus sharing with them? Our passage says that he explained everything from Moses to the prophets, from Genesis to Malachi. 
And what was he doing? He was explaining the gospel of who he was and what he came to do. There's something about knowing the gospel that can burn a passion within your heart for Jesus. Scott McKnight has a wonderful book called King Jesus Gospel, and he unpacks what the gospel is, and I want to share that with you this morning. And it's not a short little summary. It's meant to be, this is the gospel. And the the blessing is, is not only can we go from Genesis to Malachi, we can go from Genesis to Revelation because we have the new covenant. So we understand even more fully than these two on the road, the life that we're invited to in the kingdom of Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is I'll invite you even to close your eyes and just listen to the gospel as I read it for you of what it is. I would encourage you, even picture yourself on a favorite road, a favorite trail, and somebody's with you because we travel together. And Jesus comes in and he shares with you the gospel. If you're uncomfortable closing your eyes, keep them wide open. I won't spray water on you, I promise. (laughs) But I would encourage you, just close your eyes, settle in, Picture yourself on a favorite trail. It's a beautiful fall day. The breeze is barely blowing. You're with a good friend. And Jesus comes and shares the gospel. He tells you, in the beginning, God created everything and turned what existed into a cosmic temple. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve in his image and likeness and gave them one simple task, to govern this world on God's behalf. But Adam and Eve thought better and usurped God's prerogative. They usurped the rule of God in this world, and instead of listening to the good word of God, they listened to the serpent and to themselves and ruined their opportunity to govern as God's co-governors in Eden. For one dark moment, the human representatives of God acted the part of God. So God banished them from Eden and cast them into the world as we now know it. God would find another way for his likeness to co-govern the world, Sadly, all the descendants of Adam and Eve have proven their pattern. We are all usurpers. We all want to rule, not under God or as God's undergovernors, but as gods and goddesses. Still, God gave Adam and Eve's descendants the opportunity to right the ship, but they cascaded into a nightmare of rebellions that all but ruined their opportunity to govern on God's behalf. But God is gracious. Just as he gave Adam and Eve a new opportunity after their failure in Eden, So God gave all the descendants more opportunities. But rebellion was the name of the descendants' game. And with their building of the Tower of Babel, which took Adam and Eve's attempted takeover to a new level, God chose another way of establishing his rule on earth. How? God chose Abraham. Then God chose Israel. God would give Israel the task of governing. So God created a covenant between himself and Abraham and Israel, a covenant that was to be eternal and redemptive. God promised to be with Israel as the one who was for Israel. What God did was to transfer the governing assignment given to Adam and Eve to Abraham and Israel. As the original likenesses of God were given, were to govern this world on God's behalf, so Abraham and Israel were to bless the nations. They did this well at times, and at other times they acted like usurpers and chose to do things their own way. As God's chosen people, God was with them when they were slaves in Egypt, and God was for them, so he liberated them from Egypt through the hand of Moses. God wanted them to live properly as a kingdom of priests, so he gave them the Torah and renewed the covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. This Torah was to govern them in the land of Israel, and if they allowed it to govern them, they would flourish and would be able to bless the nations. But they did not do well because they didn't let the good Torah of God govern them. This second arrangement wasn't working either. When Israel asked for a king like other nations, God at first balked, but eventually gave what the usurpers wanted, a human king. 
In his own mysterious grace, though, God chose to use this kingly wish and made one of their kings, David, the sort of king God wanted for them. This was the third form of governing on God's behalf. But David was a descendant of Adam and Eve, so he too became a usurper and messed up the kingly reign. He passed the throne on to someone who messed up even more, Solomon. One king after another, some of them good and some of them bad, governed God's people, Israel and Judah. But each of them proved to be a usurper too. So God sent prophets to them to warn them that there was only one governor, one true king, one and only one God, and his name was Yahweh. Sometimes God had to discipline Israel to get the people's attention. Sometimes his discipline worked like the exile in Babylon. It led to nothing less than a spiritual revival among those who returned to the land, but that revival wore off too because they were all usurpers. Perhaps they knew they were to govern not only the promised land, but also the world, but they struggled so much to govern the land where they never even entertained except in brief poetic moments in prophets like Isaiah governing the world on God's behalf. Within a few centuries, Israel had seemingly forgotten the assignment God had given to Adam and Eve, the assignment that they were a priestly kingdom designed to bless the world. After years of deafening silence, God moved into the final plan and suddenly broke into history with someone who was both descendant and non-descendant, someone who would rule rightly and not as a usurper. God sent to Israel Jesus through Mary and Joseph. And God told Mary through an angel that her son Jesus would someday rule on God's behalf as Messiah. But even though Jesus did exactly what God had told him to do, neither Israel nor the Gentiles around Israel accepted him as Messiah. This theme consistently reveals that we are all usurpers, and we don't want someone telling us what's best for us. We seem to be incurable usurpers. Though Jesus was a man known to do good everywhere he went, and though he healed and rescued people from all sorts of problems, and though he brought people to the table who were forgiven and saved and healed and made new again and turned from usurpers to lovers, the descendants, both Roman and Jewish, decided they'd be better off putting him to death. They feared he'd deconstruct their attempted overthrows, so they killed him in the most despicable of manners by crucifying him naked on a cross outside Jerusalem on Golgotha. The usurpers were in control, and the descendants had descended to their lowest. What the usurpers and descendants didn't know was that Jesus was actually entering into their takeovers in the death they deserved for their sins. He was dying their death. He was shouldering their sins and the punishment due their sins, and he was absorbing the just wrath of God against all sin. What they didn't know was that God could reverse their rebellion and reverse their death and start all over again. What they didn't know was that this way of dying as a servant was to become the only true way of living and making peace in this world. What they didn't know was that the cross was the crown and that power comes only when it is surrendered. They didn't know this. No one did. Not even Jesus' closest followers. What the usurpers didn't know was that they had met their match in King Jesus, who was about to usher in an alternative kingdom. To start the world all over again, God, the God who graciously gave Adam and Eve another chance, and the God who rescued Israel from the clutches of Egypt, and the God who whistled for Israelites to return from Babylon, that same God, Yahweh, the Father of Jesus Christ, he erupted the normal categories of history one more time. He raised Jesus back to life to end the dominion of death, to prove that the usurpers would not have the last word, and to show that the descendants could have a whole new lineage. To make this altogether clear, Jesus appeared to host the descendants, and then he was taken up into the presence of God. What this story shows us is that what usurpers fear the most is the godness of God. But paradoxically, what usurpers most want is the godness of God. And Jesus was that God. And that is why Jesus as Messiah and Lord is the gospel. We finally had the king this earth needed. 
He was exalted to reign over the world, over both Jews as Messiah and over Gentiles as Lord, and he summoned all people to accept his forgiving, kindly, peaceful, gracious, transforming rule. If people would but turn to him, they would be forgiven, and their rebellion would be forgotten forever. To create this new society, the kingdom society, the church society, Jesus sent to his people the Holy Spirit to empower them and transform them from usurpers into servants of God's love, peace, justice, and holiness. This was the alternative politics and the right way to govern the world on God's behalf, by loving others with everything we've got. And this time God chose to do things all over again with his new creation people. He chose to give them a second chance, which is one way of talking about the magnificent theme of God's grace. He chose to let them be people of the kingdom, called the church, and he summoned them to believe in Jesus, to turn from their disobedience, and to so identify with Jesus that they would enter in his death and resurrection and through that find new life. Most importantly, though, Jesus was the true king, the true Messiah, the true likeness, and the true Lord. God gave to Jesus' people the assignment he'd given to Adam and Eve. They were the likeness of God like Adam and Eve, but with a major difference. They had the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit could transform them into the visible likeness of Jesus himself. As Christ-like images, they are assigned to rule on God's behalf in this world. They do this by listening to this story, by living out this story as their story, and by spreading the good news of this story. They now rule in an imperfect world, in an imperfect way, as imperfect images. But someday the perfect likeness of God will come back, and he will rescue his imperfect images and set them up one more time in this world. This time, though, it will be right, because Jesus will be the temple, and the garden will become the eternal city, and it will be filled with peace, love, joy, and holiness. All rebellions will end, and everyone will serve Jesus in the power of the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Humans will govern on God's behalf in the way of Jesus forever. You've journeyed with Jesus, and this is the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. And you can encounter Jesus as you live in that gospel story, as co governors filled with his spirit to be able to accomplish what has yet to be accomplished. We can encounter Jesus by knowing the gospel. And we can encounter Jesus as we covenant with him and others. We can encounter Jesus as we covenant with Jesus and with others. So shortly after Jesus joins the disciples in Emmaus, they sit down for an evening meal and Jesus takes some bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And in that moment, the eyes of the disciples are opened and they encounter Jesus. But think about what led up to this moment. Disciples were journeying together. Jesus comes to speak with them. Their expectations of him are corrected. They invite a stranger into their midst. Jesus has explained the gospel to them. And at communion, as they covenant with him, they see Jesus. They see Jesus. So what does it look like to covenant with Jesus? We've talked about this over the last month. Joseph Gordon was here and shared. Covenanting with Jesus as we take communion together like we'll do next week. We try to do that on the first Sunday of the month. God's heart for you is your heart is set free, that it lives free. And so how that happens is that we are in right relationship with God. How are you doing loving Jesus by obeying his commands? He says, as your heart is set free as you covenant with one another, how are you doing living well with other believers? 
And then the last covenant is that you proclaim my Lord's death until he comes, which is to say, Jesus, I'm going to share your gospel until you come. So if your heart is unsteady this morning, is it because one of those three things is off? Because as we gather next week, you've got a week to kind of set those things straight because you're meant to live with your heart set free by Jesus. It's what he came to do on the cross. Oh, how I'd love for us to continue to journey with Jesus together. We're doing it for three years now, going through the book of Luke. I'd love for us to learn the gospel story together and better understand how we live in that story. I'd love for us to share our lives with the poor, the international, the prisoner, and the sick, because Jesus is there. And then covenant together that we live right with God, with each other, and with his mission. Because in so doing, we get to encounter the risen Jesus together. I'll never cease to be amazed that we can encounter Jesus, the Son of the living God, our resurrected Savior. And I would say, what's stopping us? Why don't we step into that life that we're offered in him? There's no greater encounter we could have in this life than an encounter with Jesus. And that's my prayer, that we encounter him together. So we're one passage away. So you saw that we're in Luke 24. One message away from finishing Luke. And we're going to enter into the Christmas season and celebrate that our king has come. We'll get into January. We'll open that January with times of praying together, abiding together. And then we'll get into a series on a great awakening because the Lord is awakening within the hearts of believers all across this country, a heart for more of himself. And my prayer is he awakens all of our hearts to all that he has for us because everyone in this room is made for more. And Jesus wants you to step into that more. He wants you to encounter him more. So my prayer for this body is that we have fresh encounters with Jesus. As we head into Christmas and get into next year, May you encounter him. And I'd say let's begin to find ways to share our lives with others. We have the opportunity to encounter Jesus, and what could be better than that? I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as we close today, maybe you're here today. It's not that you can't encounter Jesus as a non-believer, and we've got scripture and, and other historical evidence that would show otherwise, that you can encounter Jesus as an unbeliever, but usually that's an encounter because he wants you to be radically changed and transformed. But as we gather in places like this, there's encounters that we can have with Jesus, and he means for you to have those, and, and a powerful encounter with him is for you to commit your life to him, to say, Jesus, I want to be loyal to you as my Lord and Savior. So as we close here this morning, if you're looking for that kind of encounter to say, Jesus, I want to dedicate my life to you. If every head bowed in this room, who here today would say, I want to encounter Jesus like that. I want to devote my life to him, this one who is resurrected from the dead, who sits at the right hand of God. Anyone here today that say, that's me. I want to devote my life to Jesus, be loyal to him, dedicated to his purposes. In the back, anybody else that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live for him. I want to encounter him. Jesus, we just thank you that we can encounter you. And Lord, I just ask that we would begin to seek anew today an encounter with you, a fresh encounter with you. Lord, as we journey together with right expectations of who we are, we've spent three years looking at your expectations of who you are and what you came to do. And so, Lord, I just pray that we live in that. Lord, as we welcome strangers, 
as we understand the gospel story we're living in, as we covenant with you and with each other for the sake of those that don't know you. I pray, Jesus, we encounter you in amazing ways. Because, Lord, then we just can't help to be about your business. So, Jesus, we just pray that as we close in song this morning, Lord, that we just encounter you even in this song as we build our life on you. And Lord, I pray for those that raised their hand, maybe for those that that hesitated, but as we've got opportunity to sing and, and respond, I pray, Jesus, that anyone who's here in this room that wants to encounter you by devoting their lives to you, I pray, Jesus, they respond, knowing that we are, we're going to partner with them in that journey, that they don't journey alone, just like the disciples in this passage. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we close in song, Lord, that they're willing to respond by, by stepping out from where they're at to meet with myself and others and, and given information on what it looks like to follow Jesus for a lifetime in a community of faith. So God, we commit this time to you. We dedicate this service to you. It is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.